0: And welcome to the Found Cause. We found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael behind the machine, and to my virtual friend is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. You may notice, intrepid viewer, that we are not in studio today, or at least Sebastian's not. Um, sometimes it's because one of us has a cold or whatever, but today it's actually because we're doing we called an emergency session. And Theodore really should be here, but he couldn't make it to the emergency session because uh, Theodore wrangled up a, a unique teacher. Um, unique pastor for us to have an interview with. And I, if you've watched the episodes before, I really don't like interviews because I think they get kind of unfocused and I don't want to just straight up platform people's um, beliefs that I don't agree with, uh, much rather than be debates. But sometimes people don't want to debate. It's harder to, to run a debate. So we did an interview with a pastor called Peter Hyatt. Peter Hyatt is a unique viewpoint. He's a Calvinist, he says, but he's not. A, he doesn't believe in limited atonement. So He's a four-point Calvinist. But he's, he believes, because he doesn't believe in limited atonement, but he's a Calvinist, that God will um, will redeem the whole world. He's a universalist, that everybody ends up in heaven, even including Satan and everybody else. Um, but it's through God's like force of will. He changes everybody's hearts in hell. And he believes that he rejects penal substitutionary atonement, um, meaning that he does not believe that Jesus died for the penalty of your sins, um, which is important because not only is that totally... The gospel, And when you reject penal substitution atonement, I don't trust you at all. It's, it's the most concise and best way to describe what Jesus actually did and how we are paid for. So when you reject it a, in favor of many of the other theories, as we talked about before, um, you end up in a real trouble town. Um, he, he uses that as a springboard to say, if Jesus doesn't actually pay your punishment, then all the wicked who end up paying their punishment in hell, um, they, they can end up paying their own debt off. And they pay their own debt off for some limited time in hell. And then the Lord changes their hearts and they come up to heaven. Um, that's his general position. And he quotes, uh, we we have a whole interview. It's two and a half hours long. I don't even need to go through it all this time because the whole point of this episode is it's a primer for that interview. Um, It's super huge. It's like bigger than that one huge episode that Sebastian did for the Eastern Church. And he's in two of them. So I was at a dilemma. I was editing it uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, this thing is gigantic and it's a lot of Peter talking, you know, it's a lot of me talking, it's a lot of Peter talking. Um, it wasn't super organized. I thought I am gonna publish this with a primer. I'm gonna have us talk. Sebastian really didn't get to, to say a lot of what he wanted to say as well. So we're gonna do a little primer here. Hopefully it's short. And then in the description of this video, you will see a link to the full interview if you wanna see the two and a half hours. Um, it is a unique position, so if you're curious, I recommend you go into it. Um, but I'll say in summary, he, he gives his position. We give him ample time to give his position. It's not just Stammon's Ligus like Church. And we press him on it, and he doesn't have some good answers to some of our questions. But he he does the preacher thing where he he goes on and on and on about like all the cool stuff that he's learned about scripture, and some of it's relevant and some of it's not. A lot of it's not. So without further ado, I want this little primer to be some of the points that we would have our listeners go into the interview with so that you're ready for um, catching him when he um, distorts the scriptures. So Sebastian, you didn't talk a lot um, because he was hard to talk over and even I who talk over people all the time (laughs) had to like really press to talk over him. Um, So I want to give you the floor, Sebastian. What are some points that you wanted to make in that interview that you didn't
1: get to? Sure. First things first with the Quotation of Ezekiel, if you want to start there, Mm -hmm. Uh, Ezekiel 16. If you can pull up Michael verse 53 and you can read it, because he he quoted and went back often to this text. Yeah, he was all about finding
0: verses in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, like kind of wherever he could find it it via control F on the keyboard, um, places that said that God was going to redeem everybody. Um, Now you might know in context, almost all the places, and Calvinists know this well, because Arminians try to go to the, all these exact same places usually too, show that God wants to save the whole world, but then just can't or doesn't. Um, we say in every case, um, that all category, if it's talking about salvation of all, it's always a subcategory, because there are some that aren't going to be safe, right? So like, that's, every time you find this in scripture, you'll find some sort of caveat adjustment for what all means. And he's like, that's, That's crazy, you know, all means all, which is very Arminian standpoint to say. In any case, here is Ezekiel 53, one of those places, the Lord speaking. However, I will restore the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters and of Samaria and her daughters and your fortunes along with them, this is to Israel, so that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all you have done in giving them comfort.
1: Yes, so you read ahead, which is something he didn't do because he read verse 54. So if you just read verse 53, it sure sounds like, oh, Even cities that were destroyed, like um, places in Samaria and Sodom, you know, the meteorites, Jesus himself throws meteorites from Yahweh in heaven, whole other topic. I will not go down that rabbit trail. And the way in he he was, as I was observing, he utilizes to show that even wicked people will be restored in the end. And then, you know, I want to be fair to his position, he would say that, uh, or universally would say, that this means everyone, even the sinners, will be restored by God in the end. For example, Sodom and Samaria. However, is that what Ezekiel is getting at? Is that what he's getting at, Michael?
0: Well, no. And as you said, we read 54, the reason for God restoring the fortunes of Sodom and Samaria here, which, by the way, just a side note, I believe this prophecy of Ezekiel is accomplished already, like, Mm -hmm. they already saw it after they came out from Babylonian exile and they come back to the promised land here they see sodom and samaria restored so this isn't even an end times view i guess you could try to shift it as like a double fulfillment but it's it's fulfilled in our lifetimes Um, but in any case sodom and samaria are restored so that israel also restored will be disgraced and ashamed like they'll live long enough to see their enemies wicked people um prosper alongside them so that they might remember their own sin, that they were worse than these two that are now restored. So it's not a restoration so that everybody's kumbaya happy. It's a restoration for the sake of judgment on Israel, um, which is not something that Peter was using it for.
1: Right. Uh, Right. So again, read the whole chapter yourself. If you don't just take it from us or from any universalist, you can see, I would say from context, God speaking through the prophet is using this as a judgment, not as a, oh, I will make everything anew. heal. it's a judgment passage mm-hmm.
0: and the very the very last verse of the whole chapter there 63 so many verses of talking about how he's using this for the shame of Israel says then I'll make atonement for you and all you've done and you'll remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation declares the sovereign Lord which again I think speaks to <laughs> that's is, that is not an end times thing it's like an in time thing right because it doesn't really sound like heavenly kinds of feelings but in any case um, it is for the judgment of Israel and their humiliation That's one point, and and that's just one of them, and Sebastian pointed out a really good one there. There are a lot of verses that he was pointing out that talk about the restoration of all, that all died in Adam, and now all are raised again in Jesus, and always, always, always there is context to the all in those categories, whether it's talking about all who are saved or all kinds of men. It's never everybody on the whole earth is restored because of the implications of that and the fact that the Bible elsewhere talks about some being goats and some being sheep.
1: Yes, and that let me scratch in my head because for some verses he interpreted when he said and the whole world will bow to the Messiah. I remember exactly off the top of my head where, Mm -hmm. but in the Old Testament, very often when the word world or everyone is used, it's it's using to it's using that word to communicate not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Yeah. And then the Apostle John is famous for doing this. He uses the word Cosmos world in Greek. Oh, he also, I admire props to him. He he does, he, he has done some research with the Greek language. So big kudos to Peter in that sense.
0: And hey, look, because we're, we're live in real time, you might have seen, Theodore has now joined us. This is really Theodore's brainchild anyways. Um, Theodore got Peter Hyde, he found him, he got him on. So props to Theodore for, for running it. Um, I'll say... <laughs> for future interviews i i really do like a debate better than an interview just because how crazy interviews can sometimes get um i know really knock to peter hyatt because like any preacher kind of guy just loves to preach 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 and we can't really get that many words in rise. poor Theodore, if you watch the interview has like a gigantic dock that he's running through and finally like after 30 minutes whenever he gets to speak Theodore like wants to shove in every single point he's got on his dock and, and it's like It's like six verses he throws at Peter, and Peter's like, How can I possibly handle six verses?
2: Right. It's, yeah, I wish we could go like verse by verse, but (laughs) I just read like uh, one premise and then three verses that relate to that.
0: Yeah. And in any case, it was kind of overload. Oh, well. It's over and done, and you can watch the full. full interview two hours and 30 minutes of it in the description but theater we were just discussing how one of the things he kept going back to was that everyone is restored and we're just giving an example of how that's not the case here in ezekiel i think we can cut it at that one of the other things that he kept saying was that all things are made new and um in in his view all things being made new in the same way that you know all are restored all things being made new means that um there are some that go through fire, but that fire is God. And this is another point that he made that was very kind of esoteric that because God is a refining fire, he's a consuming fire, as it described in the Psalms and elsewhere. Um, hell is actually like God's refining fire. It's really like being in the presence of God so much <laughs> that you become refined. Um, and so, interesting take.
2: I research, albeit limited, um, I found most if not all the time like the fire is only refining or purifying for though for the righteous mm-hmm. or for the ones who are being saved um but for those who are not being saved it is consuming it is uh everlasting it's
1: destructive
2: destruction yeah
0: right and i even put it out to him in the interview if you listen to the full thing that that if we see the fire of hell, we assume it's destructive because it's called destructive. It's called Gehenna. It's called like where the bad fish are thrown. It's where the bad trees are thrown. It's where you don't want to go. You know, you should chop off your hand and cut out your eye rather than go into this fire. It doesn't sound refining. It sounds destructive because it's described as destructive. destructive. And Peter claims that because it's fire, we should uh, assume that it's refining because God is a refining fire. Um, but I pointed out that elsewhere, there is fire that's not God in the Bible, plenty of fire that's not God in the Bible, like having sons pass through the fire was an evil practice of killing your babies. um Meshach, and Bandida were going to be killed by an unholy Babylonian fire that God had to intervene for them not to be burned. So like, there's plenty of fire that's just straight up destructive. So it's not a good assumption that the flames of hell are the refining presence of God. Quite the opposite. Likewise, maybe picking back on that, uh, Sebastian, do you have any scripture or quotes or maybe theater you do on this whole remnant thing? Because one way Peter got around verses that clearly talk about sinners and and liars and everybody that hates God being burned in hell um, was saying that um, the part of you that is a sinner gets burned in hell, but the rest of you goes to heaven. I've got one, <laughs> maybe to fill this space. Unless you guys have one. As
2: as far as like proof text that would support something like that, or no, a, rege- a rejection Obs- showing
0: that that the remnant is full people. It's not parts of people. Okay.
2: All right. Yeah. Just. Figure it out. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I immediately think when I see something like that, I think. Uh, you you only want to build on concepts that come straight from Scripture, right? Like if you're if you're creating concepts and then reading them into Scripture, that's eisegesis. And we are all about exegesis, reading what the text actually is telling us, not what we want the text to say. So the only part of Scripture that I can think of even remotely talking about that kind of thing where where part of your works are destroyed, but you are saved, is the one verse in First Corinthians chapter 12, which says, um, For if anyone builds on this foundation, that is Christ, using gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, his workmanship will be evident, because the day will bring it to light. He will be revealed by fire, and the fire will prove the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive a reward, and if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as if through flames. And this is like a a purgatory verse that a lot of people use, but which should be noted, and the reason it's a really bad purgatory verse, and the reason it doesn't support Peter's claim, is that this is categorically about people who build on the foundation of Christ. It's Anybody who doesn't, yeah, it's super important. Anybody who doesn't build on foundation is not here. So all the people that don't build on Christ, all the people that aren't Christ, are not being saved. You know, they're they're washed away. Jesus gives the exact same um, parable where he says, if "You build on Him, storms come, but you you will." remain standing your house will remain standing but if you don't build on him you'll be crushed you know your whole house is destroyed great is the day of your calamity as the lord would say in that parable so this is not including people who are not christians this is only about christians and christians are already saved so we know christians are paid for by christ and if christians build up works in this life that are worthless you know your works are eating as many cheetos as you can and and not exercising your talent you may still be saved in the end but none of your works will pay off in heaven uh, that's that's all this is talking about so it's not talking about part of you being burned up it's talking about your works being burned up nowhere else in the bible does it ever split a man from his works being burned up so like you are a liar if you lie the only way you aren't is if you are made a new man and that's why we are born again we're no longer sinners we are now um saints by in spirit, our flesh still sins, and so we war against the flesh until our flesh eventually dies, in which we're given new flesh, uncorruptible flesh, in heaven. So, in any case, his uh, whole Paul concept.
1: Corinthians 15.
0: Yeah, and maybe do you want to discuss that, Sebastian?
1: Oh, just briefly, because uh, it was just very strange about the the kind of body that mentioned. He mentioned something about the the body uh, being destroyed. Or not being fundamentally changed, but what we emphasized mostly—I didn't really say much—in the interview was that what is causing us to sin at this moment is not our spirit, which has been made anew, and we are imbued, inhabited, whatever you, word you want to use, by the Holy Spirit. At this, anyone who is born again, right now, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Um, our body still desires to sin but when we die the we will be raised in, imperishable what our bodies was in dishonor it will be raised in glory and we will get new perfect incorruptible spirit bodies from from first corinthians 15 talking about the resurrection of the dead so uh, there will be no more sin in heaven in other words because our spirit and our bodies will be in sync Right.
0: Put it and and we will be instantly purged, which is why purgatory is entirely unnecessary and why Peter's view is entirely unnecessary. And if you listen closely in the interview, he doesn't have an answer for this. When we die, we, we lose our, our nature, our sinful natures. We are now just the spirit for a time, which isn't the way God designs men to be. So we want a body. We're not Gnostic. We, we want a body. We just want the incorruptible body. And this current body is corrupted. So it's not that we're against flesh, but when our flesh dies, our sin dies with it. You know, it, it suffered the punishment for death and now it's gone. Um, but we live on without sin. There's no need for any more purging. That's what happens. We're purged. And if we still have sin after we die, after our bodies are gone, that means our soul is bad. Because if our soul continues to sin, it is a bad soul. It's not a sort of bad soul. It's not like it has good parts of it. It is all bad. Jesus describes two kinds of people, and we brought this up in the interview plenty of times out of the door, um, where Jesus describes people as either good or bad. There is no in between. He says, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit and likewise a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Equally, he says, a good person produces good things from his storm of good and the evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. There's not a mix. Um, so if you still have badness in you and your flesh leaves, you are a bad. You're going to hell. There's no redemption of you you don't have a good part of you you are bad Um, and we can thank god that we have been reborn because we were bad and now we've been reborn good in any case his view of the remnant is totally unfounded in scripture as far as you being split from your nature that part of your nature is good and part of it's bad like the only split we see in scripture is the flesh and the spirit there's no other there's not a split within the spirit itself
1: Mm-hmm. And to emphasize, I just casually read this because he also cites cited some church fathers and that said he they held his position. I'm right. like, well, some 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 did some were, some were universalists like Origin and Gregory of Nisa, sure. But on the note of a bad tree bearing bad fruit and a good tree bearing good fruit, those are not so. You, we are not partially a good tree and partially a bad tree mm-hmm. depending on the personality. Like our anger our selfishness that's not you either a good tree or you are a bad tree based on your nature and i read from ignatius to the trillions ignatius of antioch therefore flee from these evil offshoots which bear death dealing fruit which is someone tastes, he immediately dies for these are not the planting of the father for if they were they would appear as branches of the cross and their fruit would be imperishable by which in his suffering he calls you who are his members in other words, I would say even Ignatius interprets the parable of the good tree and bad tree as being actual people who are either made good by God or just inherently bad and sinners. Right.
2: Could I just add that, uh, add to that? Absolutely. Um, so Malachi 4, 1-2 to mentions every evildoer will be chaff, left neither root nor branch. Mm-hmm. That's like the whole part of the plant.
0: It's a great point. And then, and
2: then the one... Uh, the, the Jude verse. Jude 1 verse 12, or Jude verse 12, mm-hmm. where it says, "Their autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, or doubly dead, uprooted.
0: Right. So and it
2: uses all that language that's like total, complete... <laughs> deadness.
0: Yeah, there's no... There's no redeemable part of it. There's no part that would be redeemed by fire or whatever else. It would be completely burned up. So we've talked about his penal denial of penal substitutionary atonement, which is like straight up red flags should be sounding everywhere when somebody does that. I mean, I leave room for somebody being confused, just like somebody's confused about the Trinity. I don't immediately like shoot them, um, but oh. that's... You know that's a huge red flag like stop it you know like that's not christian what you're espousing so like i like, leave room for you to be corrected but you need to be corrected in that um so same with the rejection of penal substitutionary atonement huge red flags that's that's the essence of the gospel so when you do that um you're probably on the wrong track um talked about it it's because yeah. of his whole remnant thing we just discussed his remnant thing it's bad we discussed his uh his proof texting on the all that god redeems all the world um I mean, look at all his proof texts and cedar has like a whole list of the proof texts but needless to say if you've ever read a book like the potter's freedom um you'll have seen all these proof texts from Arminians before and how they're misused so i would think somebody who claims to be a calvinist would also see that they're misused in the way they're applied uh, but he doesn't he uses some really bad ones too like a first timothy one that's talking about all kinds of men extremely clearly and um yeah it's just not not great on that front Go ahead. I I have like one last thing that he has that's bad, but go ahead.
1: Yes. On the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, the penal substitutionary, we did an episode on this actually. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, did he die to restore all things? Yes. Did he quote unquote ransom us? Yes. But at the same time, it's not one or the other. It's like, he did all these things and atoned for us and then was the substitute for our sin that he took on himself the wrath of God. So I think that was the conclusion that we made from that episode. Yeah, that it's just strange to divide all these aspects of what Jesus did and only emphasize one, whereas he did many of those theories of the atonement. But anyway, he did. If I recall correctly, please don't hold it against me. He did. I believe he would have said that penal substitution atonement was developed much, much later by the church, by the state church. Yeah, he said it was almost
0: like an American invention. (laughs) What? Okay.
1: Okay. I take great offense at that because, as you know, I love Nestorians, non-Nestorianism. I love Nestorians in the Church of the East, and um, from they were never under any government supervision, just as a background. They were always persecuted. Yet they reached China from the Babylon, the area of Babylon, uh, Iraq, Iran. They reached China in the, during the Tang dynasty. And this man, al he wrote to the emperor of China different documents specifying what Christianity was all about. I will read from this and you tell me if it's not substitu- penal substitution or atonement. But the lamb was led to the slaughter, soundless and voiceless. By the love of loving you, he suffered silently according to the law in order to transform the corrupted nature of Adam. For instance, the Mashiach died under the five attributes, but that was not the end of his life. Thus, even the foolish ones or sinners can avoid death like the other descendants of Adam. Regarding death, there is no way for them to get rid of death. Only by the holy method of redemption can they be forgiven by the Mashiach. by this simple way people can receive salvation through the suffering of the Messiah. He was not without strength to bear suffering or to do something, but he obeyed the law and was therefore crucified on the cross.
0: There you go. I mean, it's, that's, that's as concise as he could make the gospel. I think penal substitution, penal substitutionary atonement is just as concise. It's totally regular Christian doctrine and those who reject it, reject the gospel. Uh, I'll leave room for any more comments from you guys, but the last thing that I had that was a major point of his that fell flat during the interview was his um, loose interpretations of what eternal means. Because, of course, there are... Right,
2: that was going to be my last. Yeah.
0: too. There are straight-up texts in Scripture, several places, that talk about the eternal nature of hell as well as the eternal nature of God and the eternal nature of life and all that. And, of course, somebody who rejects that hell is eternal needs to deal with those um and so a very typical way to deal with those and so not surprising that he also does this is to say that oh eternal there doesn't really mean eternal just like we say that all doesn't really mean all um in some places now we point to context in the scripture of why it doesn't mean all like here's what the author is intended to mean he doesn't use scriptural context because the scriptural context <laughs> it just isn't there right it just looks like it would mean forever or eternal Um, He points to the Greek word and says, Ah, you peasant American, you don't know Greek well enough. It is not really forever. It's for the age. It's aeonios. It's like ages. And that, that could be ending. That could be like, it's forever until this current age ends, as opposed to forever and ever.
1: And there's a big problem with that, because that is the same word that is used for eternal life.
0: Right. And and like right next to each other. Eternal punishment, eternal life.
1: So if you want to say that hell only lasts for a certain amount of time and then eventually everyone's grafted back into heaven, which is what he would would say or universalists might say, um, you therefore, you have to, just for the sake of consistency and not be a strange human being, you have to then say that we're going to be in heaven for just a period of time and then maybe what god just poofs us poofs us out of existence we're there for just a million years and then we cease to exist i
0: mean he argued if you if you watch the full interview he argued that um maybe (laughs) so if he's wrong on the eternal not meaning eternal maybe it's an eternal punishment that just it's applying to nobody so like it's always there to be applied like if anybody breaks the rules again but nobody does and so it is truly eternal it lasts forever but like Nobody's being punished with it, which you could say the same thing about eternal life. Does that mean that we should be worried that maybe (laughs) it's there for somebody to attain, but nobody has it? Like we would never say that.
1: Except that in the book of Revelation, when the great Babylon is destroyed and has judged and God has judged her immorality in Revelation 19, the saints in heaven cry out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever.
0: And again, the smoke and, and elsewhere in Revelation, the smoke of the torment of the beast and the false prophet and uh, Satan, are, or they go up forever and ever to the saints in heaven. A similar Im- image is shown at the end of Isaiah, which Peter mentioned, where all the remaining saints in the end of the days will be able to look upon all the dead and, and fear you know, and, and see God's holiness. Um, which is what I believe the smoke going up forever and ever is, is looking upon those just like uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus gives Um, the saints in Abraham's bosom are able to